My guest today in the Outer Insight studio is our CEO, Wayne Duvenage. Uh, mm. I call you the accidental <laughs> activist <laughs> in our book, Permitted Plundering. Wayne, you wrote a very, very um, insightful CEO piece in our monthly newsletter saying that we don't have 20 months and that the 2024 election isn't necessarily going to bring the change that we crave so desperately. Mm. Firstly, thanks for your time, but I want to talk to you today about the role of ordinary South Africans and the mm. role of big business mm. in bringing about this change that yeah. we need in South Africa. Please just tell listeners um, who don't know about your own road to activism coming from Avis, a big rental car company, and really forced into the role of an activist, briefly. Yeah, look, it was uh, it was never planned, but it was something that had to be done. And at the time when I was chairing the Car Rental Association, uh, we could see that that ETOL decision that government had made was grossly flawed, irrational, expensive. Everything was uh, had all the flags of failure. And we don't want to live in a country where our laws just cannot be applied because it is such a, a draconian and, and, and flawed law that uh, was always going to fail. So I guess if we sit back and do nothing as business, and I was wearing a business hat in those days, then government gets its way and we fall into this trap of thinking that, well, if government makes a law, then certainly it should work, but it doesn't always work that way, especially when they're irrational, especially when they're cumbersome, don't have the administrative powers to be able to manage their own laws. Uh, and that's where, that's where government starts to suffer a crisis of legitimacy. And, and it is our role as citizens to engage uh, and then to force government to engage meaningfully. It doesn't help that they have consultations with the public and, uh, and, and do nothing with the information. And that's what we saw in ETOLs. That's what we've seen since then on R2 and so many other factors. So in other words, they um, meet with you, but they ignore you. Yeah, the input is just uh, ignored completely. And when we see their research is flawed, when we see the, the, the train coming, uh, because you know, government introduces laws so often with blinkers on. They see it through a government lens and not through a public lens. And, and, and we as the public and business can see the failures. And, uh, and at that stage, we could see this was not good for the country. And we engaged for a whole year and then realized they were not going to change their ways. They were very arrogant about this uh, ETOL decision. And we had to then do what we did. But lo and behold we saw government's bullying tactics. And it plays out today, but at that stage, they lent on every company that owned the fleet companies that were raising this challenge, and it was a legitimate, rightful challenge, uh, and, and thought, well, if we, their behavior was uh, along these lines, if we put enough pressure uh, and business stops funding and being part of this ATA initiative, ATA will collapse. Well, it didn't collapse because it was so necessary that we continued to fight. But what we did realize was that we had to become relevant to citizens because business was fearful of government, and they still are. And, and, and when we became relevant to citizens and fought for them as individuals is what was the game changer for, for, for outer and which took us into the spheres and the many areas that we play in at the moment. But at the time, it was so sad to see how business capitulated and ran away because of government's bullying tactics. And they were bullies and they still like to bully business and business needs to stand up. 
Tell us about the bullying because I don't think people are aware of what happened to businesses that stood with you. Yeah, well, all those businesses, all those fleet companies agreed this was the right fight. That They would not have come on board. They were funding the court challenge. And then as we won the interdict and then it started getting very technical and uh, I had left the corporate world to go into the space full time because it needed full time attention. Um, and not because I pushed out of the corporate world. I'd had, uh, had a good time, good innings. I really enjoyed it. But this, I thought, you know, government would come to their senses quite quickly. They haven't. Ten years later, here we are. Old story. But what I did see were the emails. The emails from Sanral to the presidency, telling presidency uh, to, to engage with these uh, big companies, so the Barlowalds, the Bidvest, the Imperial Groups that own these fleet companies, and to put them under pressure to distance themselves from Outer. And that was frustrating to read. I saw those emails and that would literally happen. And within a few weeks, literally within a few weeks of those mails, every single one of the CEOs of those companies mailed me literally along the same lines saying, sorry, but we cannot be part of this outer challenge anymore. It what was would the price be if they continued with you? Would they have lost contracts? Well, I, you know, first of all, you must understand that on these boards sit what I call the Politburo. On every one of these big boards, there are people connected in government and connected to the ANC. And uh, I don't think they like the threats of their companies being struck off the procurement rolls. Uh, it's that type of threat. It's the types of threats that possibly come. I think sometimes they dream these threats up that they don't want to be, or you don't want having these big tax audits. And, and, and government can really make your life difficult if they want to. And that's if government operates in that way, it's extremely sad uh, in mm. any country. And that's not how you run a country. And, 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 and I believe certainly that business needs to stand up to that. Mm. Uh, and in fact, I had a couple of uh, businesses that were funny are saying, you know what, we have about 10% of our business coming from government and we are prepared to forego that. If we lose that business, we actually need to stand our ground. That's what I call brave moral courage citizen talk, active business citizen sense talk. Uh, and, and it's lovely, but you don't get that across the board. There's a very few companies that will take that stand. We're going to discuss business and the role of business in breaking down South Africa, but then again also in the future build-up of the country a bit later on. But can we now speak about ordinary people and what we can do? Because people get desperate, they get negative, mm. they lose hope, and they say things like, no, I'm not going to fix up my own community or town because that's what I pay rates and taxes for. But we know that without our input, there will be no change. So please yeah. give us hope and inspiration and motivation yeah. to stand up and do something. Thanks. Uh, you are quite right, Ilza. So, so look, in saying what I want to say, uh, we've got to be very careful not to bury our heads in the sand like ostriches and think there's, you know, everything's hunky-dory out there. It's not. We are, ha we are in a very precarious position as a country. We are broke and we have gross maladministration, mismanagement, waste of taxpayers' funds. We shouldn't be in this situation, in this space. And I understand it when people say, you know, I pay my taxes, why should I do anything else? But that's fine. That's your prerogative. You don't have to do anything else. But if we all adopted that view, then I think we'd be in a worse off position. What we need to do as citizens in this country is to become more active. Now, very often get asked, well, what is active citizenry? Well, active citizenry is getting involved, going beyond just normal day-to-day -day life. And I know we're busy, we work, we, we have family time, we need to 
to control the stresses that uh, make our lives difficult. But that doesn't mean to say we can't get involved where we can. And civil activism is about uh, understanding that there is more that we can do as citizens and more so collectively. And that's why we have resident associations. That's why we have business chambers. That's why we have community associations. And it's in this community space where we say, well, collectively, how can we make a difference? And what we're finding out uh, through our work in CAN, and that, uh, which is the Community Action Network, is that so many resident associations exist, but for a a, a reason that is that is more concentrated on their area and not on the greater scheme of municipalities working for their citizens. So imagine if every resident association in a city or a metro or a town was working with each other, not only rate paying, but you have community associations like in Makanda where you had the uh, uh, unemployed citizens movement working with the residents associations, getting a court challenge and winning in court to have a municipal uh, uh, council disbanded. I mean, that is, that's music to our ears. And you have a few people that will do most of that work, but you need to support them as, as, as community members. You need to join your resident associations or community associations. You need to make sure that they link up with the communities across the railway track or the river because you must understand that we moan as ratepayers. But there are some communities that, that don't even have roads, that's so not even a road to have a pothole in. They have sewage running through their properties and that. Uh, they have bigger issues. And they're also challenging the same municipal manager, the same municipality. So we need to work together instead of divided in our own little islands and silos. And that way, I think we can bring about a lot more impact on change to municipal managers to sit up and say, we have a role to play and we have to become more citizen-centric. It's our role as citizens and residents in our towns to put that pressure on those, uh, on those leaders. Well, it comes down to practical things like cleaning up parks yeah. and planting trees and um, possibly filling potholes and everything. But it also comes down to holding your local ward councillor accountable, attending yeah. meetings, looking yeah. at budgets. That's it. While we're talking about community involvement, can you just give us a sort of a short description of our social initiatives the new uh, technology yeah. that we're using, CAN, LINK, mm. and water can. So, so yes, uh, what we decided to do at Arta was sit back and say, well, we've got a good accountability division. We're holding uh, uh, um, government to account where we can. There's too much for us to get to all of it. Uh, we're, we're playing in the policy space, presenting in parliament, and challenging where it needs to be challenged. But at the same time, we need to become solutions thinking uh, and solutions based in, well, what can we do to help citizens play a more meaningful role in the space that we spoke about? So we've launched this CAN uh, Community Action Network. It's a, it's a platform. It helps residents associations raise funds, build their members. Uh, Speak and, to each other. It's a communication yeah, communicate with each network. other better and then network and then and then to to make sure that they understand what is the municipal diary look like. So if it's budget time, get involved with the budgets. Find the retired finance specialists in your areas. Uh, if not, we can try and help you do that so that we can make sure that budgets make sense, that the integrated development plans uh, that take place, uh, we need to get involved with those meetings. And, you know, the municipalities 
have these public engagement sessions, but far too often we see uh, citizens, we don't participate. We step back, we stay out of that realm. We need to get involved. Now, no, we're not saying the whole city and town needs to get involved. Find your leaders in your community associations and get them to go and represent you, but then support them. And support them often means that in your fees that you pay your contribution to these residents associations, they can employ some administrators and make their lives a bit easier. So that's the CAN initiative. Um, that's a straightforward digital platform. That's a, that's a yeah, it's, it's a, it's a web-based platform. Yes. Um, and the, then, then an app-based platform we've launched is Link. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an app which we, um, what we saw, many towns do not get the information on sewage running down the roads, water leaks, traffic lights out, potholes, illegal dumping, uh, vandalism, all of those things. So, we found an app that had been developed, but it was very uh, user-unfriendly. It, was, uh, it wasn't working, uh, and uh, we took it over uh, uh, with the, uh, you know, at the request and, and the support of, of Fastcom, who've worked with us in developing it. And now we're launching that app. Um, it, it, and it just really helps citizens within three to five seconds to be able to report uh, something that is wrong with their, in their town. It's very quick. It's fast. Um, but we're working with cities first to 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 make sure that it integrates with their system. So next week we're launching uh, this in Cape Town through all the residents associations, and that Swellendam are on board. Bayers Nodia, Kocha, we've got quite a lot of experience on how it works. It's a very, it's got a lot of artificial intelligence built into it. So if one person or twenty people report one traffic light down. The, uh, the city doesn't get 20 traffic light issues. It gets one with all the uh, attached uh, reports okay. uh, logged to it. Uh, it's got a lot of intelligence building. So why did we do this? Well, you know, every city develops their own app, and then they don't work. And Joburg City, Joburg Road Agency paid 20 million rand for their app, and it doesn't work to, the, to this day. And then if you go from Joburg into Ikurileni up to Shwane, you have to download everybody's different apps. Well, our app works in every single town. It's exactly the same. Across and the, the country. Yeah, and the information goes to those uh, specific uh, specific uh, city management uh, entities, whether it's the water department or the roads department. We're going to launch it town by town, city by city, because we don't want people downloading the app and then and then it's not the information not finding its way to the right people. So watch out for that. Water can brilliant initiative. Essentially, it's about citizen science saying, well, if we can't trust government's information on the quality of water uh, and, and, and it's late and it's, uh, it, it just doesn't make sense, we are now encouraging and training citizens to do water testing, to get their local communities to support them. And that information goes into a heat map and just picture three years from now or hopefully sooner uh, an entire heat map of the quality of our rivers and our reservoirs, our drinking water in this country all that information, accurate and up-to-date, given to government and all stakeholders by the citizens of this country. An exciting project. Water is our next biggest issue. It's a massive challenge. We've got to fix it. And the only way you fix these things is to ensure that there's transparency. And then with transparency and information, you can hold municipal managers to account. And uh, this is what that water can uh, um, application is going to do. Really exciting. Stuff. And that is led uh, very ably by Dr. Ferial Adam, yeah. a water activist. And while they are gathering information, they are also motivating people and getting involved with certain water yeah. actions 
across the country. Lots so, happening. So it yeah. serves a, a, a double purpose. Yeah, and we'll be working with, there's a lot of water forums out there. They're doing great work. So it's collaborative as opposed mm. to us just doing our own thing and we all work in silos. No, we're bringing uh, all this information together. That is very important what you're pointing out is we should really get together, work together yeah. and mm-hmm. push back against yeah. government. Yeah. It will show the power of civil society because we often think we're powerless. We can't do think, a thing. Yeah, you're right, Ilza. So that's why when we unpacked those initiatives, it was about, well, how do we help people to become active citizens? So now that these things are coming to the fore, we can do more together as individuals, not working against government, but providing solutions with them. And what we are seeing is that some government departments, and especially in water, are reaching out to us now and saying, well, this is great. Can we work with you? How do we uh, benefit from this information? And that's where we need to be as a country. So getting back to the start of the discussion, we've got 20 months to our next elections. Can we wait? Well, we can't. We've got to become more active. We've got to put pressure on. And I want to remind uh, the citizens and listeners out there that five years ago, this month, five years ago, Jacob Zuma was facing, I think, his fourth vote of no confidence. The Gupta leaks had come out in May. We had done that report, uh, no room to hide, a president caught in the act, given that to parliament to deliberate on for this vote. Uh, prior to that, on the 7th of April in 2017, the big marches took place around the country when Zuma tried to hijack, well, he did, he hijacked Treasury by removing Pravin Gordon and, and Sabisi Jonas. Uh, and and this was the active citizenry level that we needed. I've never seen middle class South Africa, you know, people that just do, don't march, don't go out there, get onto the streets, businesses giving people the day off to peacefully protest and send a message to government that we're not happy. And that that was a powerful message. And I can tell you that as much as Jacob Zuma tried to downplay it, those Video clips of 20,000 people in, in Etiquini, uh, 30,000 people in, in Cape Town, 40, 50,000 people in, in, in uh, Shwane marching, and in other towns around the country. Uh, go viral. They get, international news picks that up. People start getting hold of government. You're, what's going on? Why are your, you know, your citizens uh, demonstrating like that? And it puts pressure on government. So they can't ignore that stuff. And that's what we might have to get to, depending on how the cards fall. Now, place ourselves in the position we were five years ago. Zuma escaped that last vote of no conference, only just because it was done in secret. Mm. But there was a lot of mindset shift in parliament. Parliament could feel the pressure of the people. And the December ANC elections in 2017 in Nazareth were coming. And thank goodness change happened. Of course not enough has changed. Of and course not we expected enough. Yeah, and we mm. expected a lot more from Ramaphosa by now. But can you imagine if the Zuma camp had won that election? We would still have uh, Tom Moyani in SARS. We would still have Sean Abrams in, in the Possibly NPA. no money left in uh, SARS, but be, Tom will be yeah, sitting there. Yeah, we would be... Mm. A, a, pretty much in a failed state right now. Mm. So we've avoided that uh, um, because I think the pressure that was brought to bear for change to happen took place at Nazareth. Mm. And we can't always place our hope on what might happen in the December elections at the ANC. But the ANC takes note, as does every political party, on the sentiment of the public. That's our role between now and then. We need to have an ANC that is going to, well, a ruling party and a government that is going to change faster than it is. Now, let's say Ramaphosa stays in power. He's got 
by then probably 14 months to do what he can to save the ANC from losing the elections in May 2024. Uh, we don't think he will. We think the people aren't that fickle. They understand what's going on. And but he's going to, yeah, he's going to have to move fast. Whoever gets in, and if he doesn't even get in, and 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 the wrong camp gets in, well, then we're going to have to up the ante even more. But it will be the downfall of the ante. And all, all indications are below forty-five percent. Uh, and yes, there's talk of coalitions. And what did that look like? Well, what that will look like, I believe, is when the people bring the pressure to bear then whatever that government looks like, even if it's a coalition government, and there are coalition governments around the world that where the president comes from a party that only had 15 to 20% of the vote. You don't have to have the majority. It's going to be very interesting with the new dynamics and the political and electoral reform that is unfolding. In uh, which Arta also plays yeah, a we're driving role. a big role, role there and, and, and in court uh, uh, on that matter. So, so there's just so much potentially exciting stuff uh, that is coming our way. But if we sit back and moan, if we sit back and say, well, we don't shouldn't have to do anything because we pay taxes, then we will become the masters of our destiny. We will, we will keep marching south. We'll keep marching downhill. But if we put pressure on government, now what does that mean? And this is where I come to business as well. Business has a massive role to play. You know, every business, especially big businesses, belongs to some business association, belongs to some business chamber, and there's collective power. And it's through those associations that government has less ability to bully. And they might try and bully all the members of, let's say, uh, the South African Insurance Agency who wants to put pressure on government for change. Um, but that's fine. Collectively, they can stand together. And that's what we did at the Car Rental Association. We stood together. We were strong. And if they want to come and try and pick all the members off, they're going to have a problem. But I think today government is in a little bit of a different position. They have more of an appetite to engage now because they know. They have dropped the ball. The president has spoken out. He has said business and government need to engage more. Civil society and government needs to engage more. We need to become more constructive. And I think that's the recipe for constructive dialogue to go forward, but hard dialogue. Pressure needs to be brought to bear. I'll give you some examples. A workman's compensation is a mess. The skills development levies should not be a tick box that you know businesses pays every month as if it's another tax. They should be asking government and putting Tough them under questions. pressure. What are we getting in return for that skills Where development Where are levy? the skills? Yeah, exactly. Mm. We've got had this thing going for years and we're not seeing any change in the in the upliftment of skills. In fact, it's going the wrong way. And Alta will be issuing some devastating news on that front exactly. shortly. Yeah, yeah. So, so exactly. Um, there's there are a lot of hard questions that business should be challenging. We are working with business and BUSA uh, on a very important project in the, on the NRCS, the National uh, uh, Regulatory Body on Conformance uh, and um, Standards. Uh, uh, and, and there are problems there, and business have been raising this issue for years now. Nothing has happened. But fortunately, the NRCS are now working with Arta and business, uh, Abusa, to, 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 to fix that problem. Those are just microcosms of hundreds of potential projects like this out there. We have to get out of this boundary of business as usual. We have to stop thinking about, look, we must just maximize profits at any cost. We have a role as business people to play 
in civil society to fix this country. Otherwise, there will be no country left to do business in. And it is business's role to stand up more and speak out more and for business leaders to take a stand and make government feel that pressure. There's a question that always comes up or a challenge that always comes up on social media, and that is, let's do a tax revolt. But a tax revolt isn't practically possible. So how do you suggest business go about uh, resisting corruption and procurement corruption and demanding change in those spaces? Because a business can't stop paying over Mm. pay as you earn or VAT, but what can they do? So just to that question or the point on a tax revolt, you're quite right. Firstly, I don't think anybody wants to live in a country where there's a full tax revolt. And the reason for that is that when the police stop getting paid, when the ports authorities, when the teachers, when the hospitals stop getting paid, well, you have a collapsed state and you don't want that. Secondly, you can't get back from a collapsed no, state. No, you can't. And, uh, and secondly, if business doesn't participate, and they won't, because the law is very strong, the taxman will take the money straight out of their accounts. Um, but business pays over the VAT. They pay over the PAYE and all these things. So, and they won't participate. And we've we've discussed this. It's not a practical thing. Very focused tax revolts, like in a municipality that has got the law behind them, uh, and you've done it structured. A very focused tax revolt was the Etal matter. Those have a purpose. And they have a specific ring-fenced effect. Those are fine. Those are good when they're done properly. But a general tax revolt is, is, is not possible and you don't want to go there. However, business, as I said earlier, can start playing a, a role in challenging government through their various associations. And the first thing they've got to ask themselves is, and I know, been there, sat in these meetings where we say, well, this has been on our agenda to challenge government on for years, two years, three years. The issues that they have with the inefficiencies of government must be taken up with government. They must do, throw, do so through uh, uh, Patel's department, the uh, Department trade of and Trade and Commerce. They've got to do it at NEDLAC. They've got to ask the tough questions. They've got to support the boosters of the world to capacitate them, to do the research and to put government under pressure at NEDLAC. That's where they've got to do it. And NEDLAC, if you ask most businesses, is a dead duck. Nothing seems to come of it. If not through there, then organizations like ATA, we need the support so that we can put more project managers onto big projects and we can go and tackle these things. But we can't do all of this work in the void of having the resources. So active citizenry also means, well, if you're too busy and you can't get to the things that you know needs to happen, Find an organization, a civil activist organization that is doing work in that area and support them. And I give a lot of talks and engage a lot with business people and and individuals who understand now that the role of active citizenry doesn't mean to say that you personally have to do it, but support those institutions and organizations that are doing good work in this space. Uh, and, and, And just know that that you know your small contribution is—it's crazy. We get these you know comments about my what's what's my contribution going to do or my small donation. Well, if we all thought like that, Arta wouldn't exist. We you know crowdfunding is a powerful tool, and the more you get people to support with small amounts, the bigger the organisation becomes in its ability to bring on the resources and 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 bring these challenges to fruition. 
And just to give listeners some perspective, Alta is completely reliant on donations. We are not funded by some or other strange um, organization. We are funded by you mm. listening here, following us on social media. And sometimes it's little donations of 50 rand. Um, but it's also… Nothing is too small. Nothing right. is too small. But instead of paying over your taxes to SARS without getting anything in return… Rather pay something towards ATA because we can issue you with a, a Section 18A, yes, 18A certificate. Yeah. And uh, the other thing that we also need to know is that people call on ATA to tackle cases in court, but that takes a lot of money. Yeah. And ATA is playing the game a bit differently there, um, mm. am I right, Wayne? We don't outsource the um, legal yeah. services. We do a lot of the legal work inside Outsoles, yeah. with trained legal advisors, mm. attorneys, just briefly tell us how that yeah, works. Yeah, so, so what we learned uh, on the ETO matter is that all we were doing was making law firms rich, extremely rich, and our money was being wasted in that. Not wasted, but because we had to bring that legal challenge. So what we decided to do in 2016 was if we were going to go beyond ETOs as we did and challenge government's maladministration and corruption, we wanted to do litigation because litigation is one tool. It's not the only tool, but it's a, an important tool you've got to use in some cases like car power ships R2 and others that are coming. We've done a, quite a lot of litigation when it comes to holding government's feet to the fire. And we realized that if we employed our own advocate and legal specialists, we can build cases faster and cheaper. And then we work with small law firms that are not expensive. We do all the work for them. We collaborate with them through to the senior councils who also work for us a lot at reduced rates. And we're able to litigate far more effectively at less than half the cost of what we would have paid in these expensive cases. Some of them are very expensive. They're drawn out. The Dudumnieni delinquent director case was uh, one, in, uh, one like that, and there are others. Um, uh, but on the whole, uh, so many of our cases, the BNP Capital deal, for instance, stopped 249 million rand from going to some boutique uh, nonsense finance house, uh, and our own legal team built that. We interdicted or threatened to interdict, and they had to uh, change that. And out of saved the taxpayer, 249 exactly. million. And the, and the Bank of Baroda, the rehabilitation funds, 1.8 billion rand if we didn't uh, fight that matter. Yeah, uh, there's so many of those examples. Um, litigation is expensive, but when we do it the way we've learned, uh, it, 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 it's, it's far more effective. You've listened to the CEO of Alta, Wayne Duvenage. I think we should have a regular slot and call it CEO Catch-Up with yeah, Wayne Duvenage. Well, let's do yes. that. Good idea. Um, and if you liked this podcast, please tell your friends about it. If you like Alta's work, please follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please go to our website, www.outa.co.za, and join us. And not join us by um, just adding your voice to us, but join us with your purse, because every <laughs> single rand is welcome, as you heard, mm. for litigation, for um, employing more people to fight more issues. And I'd like to end off always with this comment. This is from Edmund Burke, who said, the person who makes the biggest mistake is the one who gives nothing because he could only give a little. Every bit counts. Don't think your contribution is too small. It helps. Thanks, Ilza. Thanks, chat. Wayne. Lovely. I'm Ilza Salzfedel, presenter of Outer Insights. If you like Outer's work, please consider donating to them. 
To do that, simply click on alta.co.za and click on the Join Now button. And if you found the podcast insightful, please share it with your friends.